0: Devon Cass.
1: From Radio X. Hello, and welcome to Devon Cast, the new podcast looking at local and regional issues in our county, the politics, the people, the places, and how decisions here affect you, your family, and how we live, work, and enjoy Devon. We'll be here each week reporting the key stories from around the county as part of the Local Democracy Reporting Service. I'm Ollie Heptinstall.
0: I'm Rob Kershaw, and I'm Philip Cherm. I cover Plymouth, West Devon, Teignbridge, and the South Hams. One of the big stories that's been around this week in Plymouth has been the tragic keyham shootings, of course. Now, that was very big for residents in the area and of the city, it's big for politicians, but also for the police. They've been heavily criticised about how they handled that. And that happens just at a time that they were asking for more money to run their force. I also spent some time this week with Nigel Farage. He was in Exeter presenting his TV chat show, and we'll be looking at that.
2: I cover Torbay, East Devon, North Devon, and Torridge. And let's just have a quick look at the LDRS. It's been running for about five years. It's about halfway into its program. It's funded by the BBC and it's in place to cover a gap in local reporting. So we monitor local councils and other public bodies in Devon and try and hold elected representatives, councillors and the like to account. And just to wrap up
1: the geography, I cover Exeter, Devon County, and Mid-Devon councils. Mid-Devon, by the way, has had a very eventful week, We'll have more on that later on, along with a look at the boundary changes for the next general election. And that interview, as Philip said, with Nigel Farage. Devon Cast from Radio X. But first, council tax, perhaps not the most glamorous topic. But it is something that affects us all. And council tax is going up across the board from April. Most of the extra money will be going towards our top tier councils. Devon County Council, for example, is going up by around £77 for a band-e property next year. Um, That is to do with funding more adult and children's services across the county. Philip, you cover the police. What's been their reasoning
0: for putting prices up? Well, Police and Crime Commission say there are a number of pressures there. Uh, uh, there They want a 6% increase. They've got that. That's all been agreed. That'll add an extra £15 a year onto a band D property. What Alistair Hernandez says, who's the police and crime commissioner for Devon Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly, says it's also to, be, to increase that budget to around £384 million. That will make sure that if you've been promising for some time about getting more officers out there, more people on the beat, more people investigating crimes. Uh, 3,600 officers, uh, 23 front desks opening. So the great and ambitious plans there although that money's been agreed it comes at a time when uh, devon and cornwall police have come under quite a lot of criticism and crime generally in devon cornwall and the whole surrounding area up 10% that's in the 12 months up to uh 20 2020, september 2022 The other big thing, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit more as well, is the Kia murders, the tragedy that happened there. So uh, although Alison Hernandez has said, look, she wants to have better checks on guns and wants £600,000 towards doing that, uh, the police themselves, in terms of their effectiveness, has come under fire somewhat. So, So that's how they're justifying their increase. We'll talk about those Kiem shootings later on. I think
1: you were saying the other day, Philip, that Alison Hernandez, Police and Crime Commissioner, can't now put up council
0: tax anymore during her Indeed. term. And what she's done is, uh, in the time that she's been in, she has increased it. Every time, every year, to pretty much the maximum that she's able to do that. Uh, what that means is that, that it, it's legislated that you cannot then put it up more than five times. So next year, even if there's some sort of shortfall, even if there's some difficulty in paying for some of the services she wants, that's it. She cannot raise it any more, uh, not in her term. So it will have to be up to the any future police and crime commissioner, um, whoever that might be. And it might still be um, Alison Hernandez, mm. but uh, uh, you can't put it up any more.
1: Now, the fire service, I was at their budget meeting the other day. They said that their 5.45% rise would avoid significant cuts to services. But it's not just the police and fire that have been putting council tax up. It's it's districts as well, isn't it, Rob? Sort of a 2.99% rise across the board.
2: It is. It's basically 3%, but the number that's been put around in council meetings is 2.99%, apart from East Devon this week, because the stipulation was that it's either going to be a £5 increase or a two point nine nine percent increase whichever one happens to be higher so east devon have gone for a 3.19 percent increase which is five pounds per year Um, interesting little discussion in Torridge actually on uh, Monday evening they were discussing the police who as Phil just touched on uh, they're putting their share of the council tax up by just over 6% and one of the questions was well what are they doing with that money there's less officers on the street there's more difficulty paying wages there's more cuts being made uh, and they were told at the meeting that there will be more officers across northern Devon and potentially a few more police desks opening as well although exactly where those will be be. we don't know at the moment yeah and I, I suppose
1: it's a little bit confusing isn't it because all these different preceptors as they're known councils fire police they all have these separate increases but they really do add up don't they philip
0: uh, they really do i mean you look at somewhere like southam's they've got a 2.77 percent increase again heading on for three percent there which they say is only five pounds it's only five pound on the year it won't make that much difference on the, on this these band D properties but then you've got the precept to the county council. You've got the precept to the police and crime. You've got uh, fire and rescue. You've got money that they pay out to the parishes. When you add that up, and if we use southampton as an example, that would be a hundred and five pounds—not five, one hundred and five. Now that's at the point at which, either you know, with all the various increases, maybe some of the householders are beginning to say, "Well, hang on, what am I? What actually am I, am I getting for my money?" So. Um, I, I think sometimes when these discussions take place in the council, a lot of that information doesn't always come come out.
1: And yeah, you were saying 100 pounds there around for South Hams, uh, Mid Devon. They put theirs up by uh, six pound fifty six per year for a Band D property, two hundred and twenty five pounds in total next year. We'll be going towards Mid Devon combined with all the others. Uh, Mid Devon properties, Band D ones, will be paying out almost two thousand three hundred pounds next year. I mean, Rob. The councils will say that they've got little choice really with um, inflationary pressures, budget pressures and also to do with central government funding being cut since 2010.
2: Yeah, and there's a constant uh, flow of criticism from district councils towards central government at the moment. We can't go through every single one because that would simply take too long. Um, But we did have a councillor in North Devon uh, just a couple of weeks ago who said uh, that the the 2.99% increase that has occurred... In north devon and overall council tax across the preceptors is increasing by about five percent in north devon he said that because inflation has been at 10 percent over the last 12 months due to various different reasons including of course russia's invasion of, of ukraine it's one year today uh, since that invasion started he said that because of that the 2.99 percent increase is essentially a seven percent uh, decrease because of the amount of uh, inflation that, that that we have had. So that is the argument. Um, it, obviously, it's up to the to the listeners at home to decide whether they agree with that or not. Um, but yeah, that, that has been the justification uh, in, in the district councils. That certainly is quite
0: interesting. Uh, what, what's happening, and you can feel sometimes the tensions in the council meetings when you go there about uh, the the Lib Dems very often the Lib Dems Labour in the areas where uh, where Labour do have a number of councillors are very damning of central government and they have often said, look, if we raise our council tax in some way, we're, we're uh, letting the central government get away with whatever they want. There's also been a cautious response to that from a lot of the Tories who seem to be reluctant to uh, condemn the government but privately they are having these conversations in Southend, for example and I know other local authorities they have been negotiating very carefully with the government in order to allow, uh, enable that possibility of paying double council tax rates for empty properties for second homeowners and so um, uh, not all the Tories are entirely happy but they're going to be a little bit more restrained in their overall con- condemnation within the meetings I feel
1: Yeah and I think Quite a lot of councils, parties across the board have sort of generally accepted that idea as being a good one, helping to perhaps plug some of the shortfalls.
0: Yeah, indeed. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I I think in certain uh, the the scenic uh, districts and boroughs, for example, where there are a large number of second uh, second homes, I think that that's kind of potentially be quite a, a money owner
2: and that's quite an interesting point as well in in north devon um just coming back to, to north devon again uh in the sense that instead of an empty home being charged double council tax after two years of being empty that now is going to take place after just one year or at least that's that's the proposal um from from north devon so um th- there's measures in place to try and mitigate this it's not like council's want to put council tax up, it's not like they want to make people suffer, but these are the pressures that they are currently under.
1: And uh, plenty more on the council tax rises across Devon can be found at our website radiox.co.uk
2: Cast from Radio X Right, so uh, Nigel Farage appeared in Exeter yesterday uh, the former uh, Brexit party leader former UKIP party leader now presenter on GB News uh, so he was next to presenting his GB News live show in Exeter yesterday and Phil you caught up with him afterwards I did indeed yeah, we had a, a,
0: a bit of a conversation um, Nigel Farage is well known for the fact that he, he likes a chat um, and I did want to speak to him about a few of the issues that are national issues, a lot of things that he'd spoken about in terms of immigration, about asylum seekers, about the number of people arriving on small boats, uh, and that was one of the first topics I spoke to him about. And now this comes at a time nationally where there is now there are now record levels of a backlog in terms of processing asylum seeker applications—one hundred sixty-six thousand—and I asked him about that. First of all very topical stuff about immigration and asylum seekers. Uh, We do still have lots of people coming in on small boats, and we have the biggest backlog we have ever seen. How would you want
3: to handle that? Yeah, 160,000 now, the backlog. Um, And we learned today that 12,000 have been selected, Mm. appears to me to be almost at random, and they will simply be waved through. Simply way through. Simply given refugee status on the basis of filling in a form, uh, many of them will have no passports, no ID, will have to just believe who they say they are, uh, and that presents a huge threat. A threat at all sorts of levels actually. A threat a threat within communities, a threat to national security, I mean, particularly as the five countries that we're saying yes to are actually war zones mm-hmm. and areas that have been known to have severe Islamic extremism, so you can't you you can't underestimate how serious this is, or how much people care about it.
0: So the five countries: Afghanistan, yep. Libya, Eritrea, Syria, Yemen. Okay. Um, according to the Refugee Council, of all the applicants that ever come from those countries, 95% will be eligible. Well, of course,
3: that's the only way you can clear the backlog. You just say yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's how it works. As so of course they're right. How many of them should? Be qualified as genuine refugees. Well, if you look at the way we've done refugee status in Britain for centuries, very, very few. I mean, what is the real definition of a refugee? Well, it's a, it's it's an individual who, because of their religion, their race, their orientation, their views, is directly in fear of their life and liberty. That is the classical definition. So you know, take for example the Ugandan Asians that came, twenty-seven thousand that came going back a few years you know Armin said I am going to kill you <laughs> I mean fairly clear they were refugees similarly with you know Jewish kids that came from Austria or from Germany you know again the same thing so this is a completely complete twisting of any historical uh, from definition but also the UNHCR f- fulfilling their criteria of what would be a justified well, refugee and that's interesting as well because you see you know in 1951 we drop a UNHCR definition and that seems to have expanded to be anyone coming from any part of the world uh, that is either in turmoil or the new definition poverty well that means about five billion can come so we've got to get a grip on this we haven't got a grip on this the British public want us to get a grip on this and and frankly when it comes to the channel um, we've got to do what the Australians did you know they faced exactly the same situation that we've got uh, this went on For year after year, uh, they initially tried offshore processing, and we could do that. You know, we could use ocean liners and put people on there and process it or attempt to process each application. But that in turn leads to problems. And in the end, what the Australians did was they simply said nobody that comes via this route will ever gain refugee status. Well, let's look at other examples of where.
0: I mean, that is
3: some may argue, is easier to do in Australia.
0: We'll have more on that interview later in the podcast. But right now, we're going to be getting a little bit more about some of the stuff that's been happening locally over the last week or so.
1: Ollie, Well, it's been an interesting week, actually, in Mid-Devon this week, Philip. A, a dramatic full council meeting on Wednesday night. Uh, didn't finish until quarter past ten, which isn't ideal. Uh, before it started, Mid-Devon's leader, the independent Bob Deed, resigned he'd been without a functioning cabinet in a dispute over the council's controversial property development company, Three Rivers. More on that in a minute. Now, the Tories, they wanted their group's leader to become the new council leader. The Conservatives currently the largest party on Mid-Devon, but it's under no overall control. But uh, that was rejected. Independent councillor Barry Warren, he was then appointed, but he's only likely to be in the job until uh, May, when there are full council elections. Uh, Councillors then at the meeting rejected two sources of income for Mid-Devon's new budget for next year Uh, that consisted of a a new business plan for their development company Three Rivers which was going to pay Mid-Devon hundreds of thousand pounds in interest for the next financial year. Uh, Councillors then also paused a plan hike in parking fees after what was a furious backlash from members of the public, some of those parking fees more than doubling in the next uh, financial year it means mid devon it needs to find around six hundred and twenty thousand pounds in cuts or savings by the 11th of march that is when councils have to legally submit their balanced budgets to the government so uh tricky times
3: Indeed. you could say
1: in mid devon and lots for the new leader to sort out in a couple of months uh, as for you philip devon and cornwall police they've come under Pressure this week, haven't they, over the
0: the Keyham shootings? They really have. Remember the the Keyham shootings go back to August 2021. That was when Jake Davison uh, set out with a shotgun, ended up uh, killing his mother and four other people before ending up killing himself. Uh, a very very tragic event and um, quite historic. It hadn't had, there haven't been similar incidents to that for for decades. The inquest has been taking place, and the police have been accused of breathtaking incompetence in terms of allowing this person to um, to have a gun in terms of licensing of that because the number of, of potential warning signs that the inquest flagged up in terms of his mental health in terms of his past record in terms of various other issues uh, had suggested that there's no way this person should have ever had uh, a licence. Now, Alison Hernandez, um, Police and Crime Commissioner, uh, she has uh, a- accepted this and said, look, e- there were mistakes make- made. Uh, she wants much more robust way of being able to allow people to have licences. Uh, the thing is that this happens at a time that, that Devon and Cornwall's police is... Uh, is in special measures. So the the national watchdog, the police watchdog, uh, put them into special measures at the end of last year uh, because of their failings in other areas. And this was before this inquest was taking place. Uh, uh, The force has generally performed very badly in terms of dealing with um, sex, violence, and antisocial behaviour. There is a new uh, chief constable, Will Kerr, And he has committed to addressing a lot of these issues. Uh, There already have been some improvements on some of the areas that they've been criticised on, such as 999 calls and um, emergency areas. The opening up of police desks across the county are are going to make significant differences. So... um, uh, Alison Andes is definitely not challenging or disagreeing with this and she is very committed in her own way to be able to uh, t- to manage the, the situation and to hopefully move forward. In other words, we don't have any other hopefully repeats of something like that.
1: OK, and uh, and how about you, Rob? What's been going on in your patch this week? Well, let's have some slightly
2: better news, shall we? Uh, East Devon have uh, supported uh, a, the transgender community, um, so they are going to fly the transgender flag on their buildings on the 31st of March and the 20th of November. Uh, they are days of visibility and remembrance for the transgender community um and councillor mike howe has left the conservative party he sat on the opposite side of the room to his colleagues at a full council meeting on wednesday uh, and he will sit as an independent that move of course comes less than three months before the next election
1: and is that full council elections on e- uh, east evan
2: yes it is yeah busy old time ahead
1: It is indeed. in it's, may yeah. and uh, well going on to elections a little bit, not quite local council elections, but general election, which, what is it, 18 months now away, do we think? Sometime next year? Probably towards the end of the year. Uh, The Boundary Commission has been drawing up a new map for England for general elections, which aims to give each MP roughly the same number of voters, between sort of 70 and 77,000 in each constituency. Um, We're going to briefly round up some of the changes, not too many um, in yours
0: to start with Philip, are there at all? No, no there really aren't In um, uh, it, clearly they've sat down and decided that uh, if we divvy up the main constituencies of, um, of the, the three constituencies that affect Plymouth and um, Southam's and the others they uh, very little change, very minor ones and which won't which won't change the name of any of the constituencies. So they're generally going to be staying the same. And I think that's one of the most important things, because I know that, obviously, in your cases, um, there are examples of new constituencies, ones that are going to change their names radically, isn't it? Isn't right?
1: Yeah, um, Tiverton and Honiton, currently uh, Richard Ford the Liberal Democrats' seat. Uh, that's going kind to of split up into... It's, it's confusing, isn't it? Because there are sort of two coming out of it, but obviously they're changing with different areas as well, so it's a bit of a confusing picture. But anyway, Tiverton and Honiton is going to become Tiverton and Minehead, a quite controversial cross uh, county seat there. It's he's not yet announced Richard Ford which seat he will be contesting. The other he he could uh, go for is Honiton and Sidmouth. But Simon Jupp, he's. Announced that he's going to run for that one hasn't
2: he Rob? He is indeed yeah and uh, he's not going to be running for the current East Devon seat which is going to become Exeter, East and Exmouth. Now before we uh, we started recording this podcast we were sort of racking our brains earlier just like who on earth is going to run for that seat and the truth is that we simply don't know so we'll 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 find that out in time. We do know um, that Selene Saxby will be running for the North Devon seat. North Devon hasn't changed at all. Uh, We're not too sure whether Sir Geoffrey Cox will still be running uh, for Torridge but I I think we can predict that, 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 that he might be um, so yeah lot, lots of changes happening and I think that Exeter East and Exmouth seat will be quite an interesting one to look out for and as for Exeter long-running MP Ben Bradshaw
1: stepping down at the next election but he's well hopefully in Labour's case he will be replaced by Steve Race the party's candidate there in Exeter and one more just to quickly go through Totnes I don't think he's changing in size but it's changing name isn't it
2: yeah, it's becoming South Devon um, at the next uh, general election. So no constituents, or oh, sorry, the uh, the electorate isn't changing, I should say. Uh, it's just the name that's changing to South Devon. Why? I don't know, but there you go. I think it probably takes it's like up a bit modern, more than...
0: Modernisation or something, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> and I believe the uh, the final map is going to be announced in the, in the months to come, isn't it? Quite soon.
0: Hmm. Yeah there's controversy about these things aren't they because you'll always get some people saying oh no no that all works out um, that all will work to our disadvantage and so on but i think it is worth noting that it is an independent body that works out these, these boundaries and it isn't politically influenced even if though some people may feel as though they will be politically advantaged or disadvantaged seven
2: cast from radio x Back then to the Nigel Farage interview. Uh, His GB News show was in exit yesterday. Phil? Indeed. He spoke about a lot of things.
0: uh, And one of the big issues that he's definitely focusing on at the moment is asylum seekers, refugees and immigrants. Now, uh, so he continued to talk about the extent of people arriving in small boats. He did recognise how difficult the problem would be to try and resolve that. But... When I was chatting to him, I also wondered if there might be another way of addressing the issue in places like Devon.
3: If you look at it, you know, you've got boats leaving from as far north as Le Pan all the way down to Burke, which is way down past Le Touquet. You've, you've now got nearly a 70-mile section of French coast off which these boats are launching. So, so you can attempt to deal with all of these things, but all the while people know if they, through a criminal trafficker, set foot on UK soil, there is a 99% chance of them staying, they will continue to come. So number one, okay. you have to say, nobody that comes via this route will ever be granted refugee status. Okay. Number two, and this, this is the much harder bit, you've got to turn those boats around and take them back to France.
0: Okay, well, let's look at this from a different angle then, because we're assuming that the people that are coming are a burden, they are um, of, of no use to the UK, uh, in, in Devon, have a lot of agriculture. In Devon we also have the experience of people, uh, asylum seekers, staying with very little money and means in hotels, in some of the seaside resorts. Uh, But if these people, many of whom are skilled, many of whom are professionals... How would you
3: know? Um, How would you know? They have no ID, you can't track their background. See, so the point about agricultural workers in Devon is this, and this is a quite important point. You know, I've spoken to quite a few of the farmers in North Devon about this over the years, because they want labour, sure. and I understand they want labour. But there's no problem in having an overseas worker scheme, where people come for a six-month season or four-month season or whatever it is, Uh, they come from a country with an ID we're able to check their police records they come uh, they have health insurance for the period of time they're here they earn their money everyone's happy there's no problem with that there's no problem with that I mean hey you know I've worked in different parts of the world you know we live in a very interconnected world the issue here the real issue here isn't even cost it isn't even the seven million quid a day we're spending on hotels although that does enrage people the real issue is one of culture and security.
0: And following that, I also wondered if his preference that he has expressed in the past on many occasions for only highly qualified or high-earning immigrants to come into the country could backfire in places like the health service. Would you ever want to see a situation, and this is talking broadly about it, it's not just talking about people coming up in boats, but it's talking about a broader issue of immigration, because there is a preference for people who are professionally qualified rather hmm. than without any particular skills. Hmm. Where, for example, the hospitals in Exeter, in Mm. Torbay, in Plymouth, where those hospitals had consultants and doctors and surgeons who were immigrants, but all the cleaners and auxiliary staff are white working class Mm. Brits.
3: Mm. Is is that a situation you want to see? I hadn't thought about it. I mean, what's the point? What's the question? Well,
0: because what you're doing is you're saying that... only professionals coming into the country mm-hmm. um, with a certain level of,
3: of standing and, prof- and qualification yeah. are going to be useful to the country. But those—oh, right, okay. Two points with to that. Make. Two, two points to make. Right. Number one, a migrant legally coming into Britain is a net benefit to the economy if they're earning about thirty thousand pounds a year plus. All right, because they're going to have kids and education and all the rest of it. So, so if, if you're looking purely at the economics of it, yeah, you want people who are high earners you know there's no doubt about that because then you remove any argument about burden the real problem is numbers look the British population has increased by 8 million since 2001. Eight million, and you wonder why we have to have smart motorways and and we can't get a GP appointment the quality of life the quality of life for the average family in this country has deteriorated we have a huge population crisis it is affecting everything housing Uh, all of it in the most dramatic way and no one appears to want to do anything about it so should we have a much much smaller number of people coming into Britain I mean remember you know from Windrush until 1999 50 years net migration ran at 30,000 a year and it's now running at 500,000 a year these are very, these numbers bear no comparison to our previous experience of this in the past. Now, the biggest problem is, with all of this and this is our culture, where we've gone wrong is that we've utterly downplayed trades and skills in the most amazing way. We haven't encouraged people to go into medicine and many other areas where we genuinely engineering, many other areas where we genuinely got shortages. So, you know, some of this, some of this is incumbent upon us, but what I don't like What I really objected to for a long, long time, is the big business cultural influence on politicians. Because basically, they want cheap workers. Mm -hmm. I don't don't want us to live in a low-wage economy. We've got got
0: very little time left, so I just want to two two quick-fire ones in here. Uh, March 2014, when you were asked which current world leader you most admired, you Mm. said, as an operator, but not as a human being, Mm. Putin. Mm. How do you feel about Putin now?
3: Well, he was a brilliant operator in Syria and places like that, and he managed to get a huge level of national support behind him. But I guess all that went away with the invasion of Crimea. OK. You know, all that went away with the invasion of Crimea. You know, he turned Russia into an aggressor, seeking new territory. But I was right to say I didn't like him. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't take him out to meet Mum for tea. Reform UK mm. um, uh, wants to...
0: One of its policies on health is to zero, have zero waiting lists great idea i think everybody mm. wants that but the idea is if you've been waiting more than a few days or whatever you have this voucher to go private is your idea to be able to bolster the nhs uh, bolster the nhs by bolstering the private health Fuck
3: i it. think with i think the private sector is able to respond more quickly to demand issues either peaks in demand or falls than is the state run national health service i think we should be encouraging people who can afford it to take out private health insurance. I think rather than saying, oh, isn't it awful, Rishi Sunak, he's used a private doctor, we should be saying, good for you, Rishi Sunak, because you can afford it and you're relieving the burden off the National Health Service. I think the whole debate needs to turn around and I think there's gonna be, I think there's gonna be a massive boom in private healthcare. And I think those that can afford it will increasingly start to go private and that I think is a very good thing for those that can't.
1: Thank you very much, Philip, for that interview. A quick question, just to round it off. Did you enjoy a pint with Nigel Farage? Well, I was driving back, so
0: I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, but there was... There was uh ale on draft there so maybe if i go back and i'm not driving and maybe oh, well i'll consider it again so
2: but, you didn't get to use one of his branded pint glasses like <laughs> no 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 quite <laughs> impressive yeah it's uh, um quite impressive though.
1: right that's just about it from us this week thank you very much for listening to the first episode of devoncast we will be back with you next week thanks
2: for listening catch the latest episode of devoncast every friday at radiox.co.uk
3: or wherever you get your podcasts